All right. So do you want to do a show? I do. I was, I thought, I thought my wife was going to turn the air conditioning. Uh Oh, uh Oh, Oh no. Oh no, dude. Oh, whoa. What do you mean? Oh no. (laughs) Little medicine. Yeah. 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 A little tincture. The, uh, so yeah, I did a little tincture. I look, here's the thing, you know, John, I have not, I've not had a drink in six weeks. And that's okay. It's not an alcoholic thing. It's a personal challenge. But that doesn't mean every once in a while, right? Mm-hmm. Natty needs a you know a little bit of a chill pill. And that, was, that, was, the about, uh, that was the thing about the um, the beer before was it wasn't a matter of like for me, especially because I was drinking like IPAs, which can be very heavy. It was more like you just have a glass. It's like hot out. You sit out in the backyard or you watch a show and you just you sip on something, right? So I don't have that. But I will tell you. Uh, the other night, I wanted a little bit extra kick before I went to bed, so I took a little bit more than I usually do, and I was sitting on the couch <laughs> watching TV, and my wife came up and talked to me, Uh-oh. and I smiled and nodded at her. My kids were asking me questions, and I kept staring at them. At one point, one of my kids was like, hey, Dad, why are you staring at me? And I just turned away and went back to the TV, <laughs> and the next morning... They said it happened. Actually, last night I was I was a little high. And she goes, I know, I know. <laughs> but she but can't say it. I, just, I was in a good place. But also, you're at a, like you're 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 at a stage now where like you, you know your kids are old enough. Not not that they, that you should be like falling down, getting wasted. But like they don't need the daddy. I made a poopy in my pants. Attention. You know what I mean? They they just need you to be like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Don't jump off the garage. Like. Which is shit you can say no matter what. So, and and your wife knows you need a little bit of a vacation, dude. Like you guys are all cooped up there. I'm sure she wishes she could be fucking mainlining um, <laughs> DVD and THC and uh, probably not. That's not her. Speech, but you know, but you know, again, she's got her wine, right? Very dude, um, dude. Yeah. I, when you said my kids were old enough, I'm like, no, John, I'm not doing it with my children. I am That's not. not no, 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 dude. You don't. Kids, we're going to put on Caddyshack, and no, we're you gonna, don't want to be that bad. No. That, that, we're, that, that, People think that dad is cool. That dad doesn't give a shit. No. Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous, by the way. I'm Brian. Oh, yeah. I'm John Huck. I forget. Yeah. And uh, we are doing another uh, social distancing uh, podcast here, which is John's at home. I'm at home. Our guest is at home. We are doing it on our same live stream service. So if it sounds a little bit different, it's because, you know, this is what it is right now. But, um, you know, we're still going to have a great time and yeah. uh, great conversations. Uh, you have anything to share, John, before bringing our guest in? Uh, no, I just went on, I went on a drive today, which was crazy. Um, I went, I went up the 101 to Mulholland or not Mulholland to, uh, um, Malibu Canyon over to PCH down PCH to Topanga and then up over Topanga down to the 101 and then up from the 101 up over Laurel back to where, where I live. Just now, let me explain to you uh, John's SNL skit he just described. <laughs> yeah, My, yeah, I know, yeah. What he was really describing is there is an area between two freeways, which is a beautiful drive through mountains, and it's, it's no one else very, is there. It it's it kind of it's it's a little bit north of Los Angeles, and it's just a different world out there. And it's very calm and chilling, and especially when you drive through, it's like a windy drive through some mountain areas, and it dumps you off onto the ocean so it's a very beautiful and relaxing drive that a lot of people bike on drive on do their motorcycles through it's you don't hear a lot of people talk about it but it actually is a very nice drive 
Well, with no traffic on a Sunday too. Yes. And then um, I still managed to get mad at the guy in front of me. I was like, would you speed it up, dude? Come on. We're not out here fucking lollygagging. Let's move. There it is. There was, there was, you <laughs> went from ten... to get back into it. Like, God damn it. Yes. That's called Zen to anger. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always my favorite thing. People usually come back from a trip from like Hawaii and they're like, you know what, man, the world, it's all good. And then someone cuts them off. They're like, fuck the world, dude. I am back. I don't need this Hawaii shit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But no, that's all I got to share. That was just my one little adventure. Well, let's bring in our guest. Yeah. Our guest is, um, I'm going to say he's roundabout, like I would say from Detroit, round way of Chicago to Los Angeles, um, host and creator of Power Moves with Mike Burns, a podcast you can find on probably every podcast area, um, comedian, author, uh, Mike Burns. What's up, guys? Don't worry about it. What's happening, man? I'm good, you know, having a nice Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Is this too far away from what a normal Sunday would be for you? I don't think so. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. yeah you yeah, know, yeah. Mike, are kind you... Kind stupid thing we're doing here, but... Well, yeah, I, I'm curious, Mike. You know, I've been talking to a lot... The funny thing is, is I know a lot of stand-ups, and I know a lot of writers, and I know a lot of actors, and I'll take... Yeah, you remove cool, you get it. You remove cool. the... Um, if you remove the uh, the financial part of it out of out of this whole stay at home order, a lot of them haven't been that affected by it because like I already kind of well, stay yeah. home a lot. Is that kind of your thing too, or not really? Um, yeah, for sure. I'm a homebody person, you know. Um, uh, like assuming that the two of you are, yes, uh, I, 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 I am. I definitely saw uh, John out on the scene for years, a good 10 years, probably in Los Angeles, hitting every mic, hitting every show, constant, constant, constant. And at a certain point I just kind of pulled back and I, I decided that I was a happier person writing at home and doing podcasts from home because frankly, I was tired. I was tired of feeling hungover and spending money at shows, drinking just to get by, to suffer <laughs> through other people's sets. And so Sunday for me, man, is, is, is putting something in the crock pot. I sit on my balcony, drink some beers and, uh, really excited for that Jordan documentary up parts Dude. three and four tonight. Okay. Oh, doing three and four tonight. Okay. So I saw Are one you? and two last week. Right. They're doing it. Okay. Are you mad? I saw this on the, first of all, everyone was at first praising ESPN for putting it up or moving it up early so that we could all see it. Right. Cause we all, everyone and there, everyone wants to watch that fucking documentary. Right. Everybody. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Even if you don't like basketball, you've got to be curious about that documentary. Right. So they moved it up and now they're like, okay, we'll give you two here. And then next week we'll give you two. And now people are like, how dare you make me fucking wait <laughs> one week in between the next two. Like people are demanding that they could just binge it right now. But in my head, I'm like, no, let them space it out, dude. We all can look forward to it. We can all talk about it. We can all be excited about it. It's right. something. It's something. It's a distraction. You put it all at once. We all watch it all in one night. We talk about it for one day. Somebody watches it a month from now who hadn't seen it and wants to talk about it again. I don't know. We can't be trusted as a society to have that uh, amount of content to binge because what it does uh, is it it, it – removes the human element of a popular TV show being discussed at length for seven days before the next one comes out. Yeah. And when you just binge it all, you're like, but that was good. Uh, the end kind of sucked and no one talks about it, but like this, I love to pick it apart and have discussions. I actually have a leaked file. I have the first eight episodes. Whoa. So I could watch them, but I, I choose not to. And not only, 
not only am I not watching um, them on a DVR or recording or whatever on demand, I'm watching them as appointment TV to truly when it's on. You're sitting down at eight o'clock or whatever. You're turning it on. Are there commercials when you do it like that? Yep. Oh, so it's straight up on ESPN. But but if I'm not mistaken, the 30 for 30s are sponsored, so there's actually limited commercials. Limited, but still, still like the regular, when they do have them, it's like a two-minute break, isn't it, or no? Um, You know what? By whatever time that comes down on a Sunday evening, I'm not retaining that information. (laughs) You're not taking notes? You're not going, hey, network, here's what I have to say about your programming. I mean, that's uh, that's about uh, six IPAs deep. And yeah. uh, a couple tokes to get real relaxed and be able to focus. <laughs> yeah. Do I, yeah, I, I, there I, may be some two minute breaks? I don't. Know. <laughs> You're like I would know. They see thirty seconds. Some are ten minutes. I have no idea. But yeah, I do. Good. I I do like the fact that, and I I think this is kind of cool that you're making it a little bit event based. It gives you something to do. Like you're creating you're creating an environment for yourself versus just whenever I want, whatever I want. You're saying, okay. well, no. I'm going to sit down at the TV like it's 1987 yeah, and I'm exactly going to watch it when though. it comes on. That's yeah. awesome. It's like I can't miss this 18 episode because it's never going to air again as far as I know. Like, and, and I'll tell you why. Another reason why I really like watching it that way is that it makes it feel like more of a sport, sporting event because yes. sport, sporting events you watch when they are on. You have it to. is appointment TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, you have – People who were like, I had to work and I taped a Mets game. Right. And don't tell me who won. Don't, don't tell me how bad they lost. I'll be <laughs> tuning yeah. in later. And like, I love watching this like it's a game. Like, oh, there's no NBA Finals tonight. There's no MLB. There's n- there's nothing. Oh, this hockey. is my this is my event. This is my yeah. two hours of sports. Yeah, and it's like cool sports that we all kind of want to see behind the scenes of. Like, what a crazy time to be in the NBA. What a crazy yeah. – just to be a, so anywhere near the Bulls at that point in time would have been fucking insane. You guys are both mid-40s, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a little older than that, yeah. I, and the thing is about the, the Bulls – this it, what's, what I find personally interesting about this documentary is that it was one of those things when it came out, you're like, wow, yeah, I guess that was 20 years ago. Like, it didn't mm-hmm. – I, I remember being in the thick of it. I was raised a, a Bucks fan, but I, you know, I, the minute Jordan came into the league and it was just so dominant and so fun to watch, and those Bulls teams are so fun to watch, I it was it was must see TV. And that whole that whole circus of the NBA while he was while he was on his you know at his peak was just it's just great entertainment, man. It really yeah. really was. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a really special time period and. What, what I find fascinating is, for me, it's just like it was yesterday. And that's like a lot of the things. You know, I'm a very nostalgic person, and I like, I like 80s hip-hop. I like 90s hip-hop. I like 80s rock. I like, you know. Cassettes. I, I collect cassettes. I have, I have about 600 cassettes. I, I mean, that's what I immerse my life in. So, for me, this is just the shit that I'd be watching anyways. But then you've got – I see on Twitter – kids like younger millennials they're like wow i can't wait to watch this i want to i've never experienced like i don't know anything about michael jordan i just watched a babe ruth documentary (laughs) babe ruth was still alive and we'd be like wait what this fucking old man who like everyone talks about and says this best that's ever been it's very much like when you watch a ken burns baseball and you know i'm a massive baseball fan but i don't know that much so when you see that the first time i'm just as engaged and I hope that kids appreciate 
uh, seeing this just the same way. You know, it's funny you bring that up. Um, take if it, I think a big part of it is because I have kids that are uh, kids can be 15 and a kid that's 12. And early, very, very young in their lives, when I, when I, when I was, you had kids, you start getting into that world, something that I was alien to me before that. There was a hu- huge gap that kids uh, born year 2000 on, history wasn't meaning anything to them anymore because they were being given so much immediate information that they lived in the now. So knowing anything about football history or baseball history or basketball history just didn't exist until video games became important to them and that the NBA uh, and definitely uh, Madden really does a good job of teaching these kids about all these legends, right? who they were and how they can dominate now in a video format. So now all of a sudden there was this 10 year gap where like kids are like, I don't know anything about Michael Jordan. I know this LeBron James guy, but Michael Jordan is nothing to me. Right. And then all of a sudden he starts getting put in these NBA video games and he's dominating. And people are like, I want to know who Michael Jordan is. And I think that's really cool. It's, you know, I mean, that's, that's a big part of what's happening right now that they're getting a whole new audience for this as well. I mean, for us, it's nostalgia for these kids. They're like, yeah, I want to know more about this dude that dominated in those. I mean, it's historic. He's a, he is a, that that's history. You're watching the history of that team. It's like, that's worth a documentary. That Bulls team is worth a whole series. Do you know what I mean? And you were, right. Mike, were you even, you were uh, in Detroit at that time? Um, no, I'm, well, I grew up in Saginaw, Michigan, which is about an hour okay. and a half outside of Detroit. Very similar, but a smaller uh, version of that. So I was. But, so I, you were Pistons? Uh, well. Or no? No. See, I, I loved the, the bad boys. You know, it was a, a very big cult part of mid-Michigan culture. It was everywhere. Oh, yeah. Street corners had bootleg T-shirts. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing the bad boys, that black classic T-shirt. And I still have some of the vintage uh, championship ones. Um, But you wanted to see Michael Jordan so bad because he everybody did. He surpassed like Bulls are rivals to the Pistons, but it didn't matter. I've always primarily been a a lover of uh, the sport in any sport above what my personal uh, a connection is Charles Barkley is my favorite player of all time. Jordan, I would say too, but I think Jordan is the best. What I yeah. find, what I find fascinating about this whole thing is that there's still that argument of who's better LeBron or Jordan. And I think uh, it makes it pretty clear cut argument for Michael Jordan in this documentary, because he is so mentally vicious and he will not quit he, it is yeah. very, it is very much that uh, Nikki. You lock Nikki up. He comes back with a. You bring a knife. He comes back yeah. with a gun, and he'll keep coming back and coming <laughs> back and coming back. You know, and, and yeah. like, uh, I, I, what does he say? Um, because uh, I don't give a fuck about jail. You know, it's yeah. that attitude. Michael Jordan doesn't yeah. give a fuck about jail. He, yeah, yeah. He, he, Michael Jordan did not seem to give a shit about too much. You know what I mean? In terms of like. His competition, like he's like, I'm gonna dominate. I'll make sure I dominate. That's There's, not it. There was to make sure. His list, his list of priorities was one, winning, and then that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, there was one other thing, and I was curious if you guys know if they're gonna do a full episode on this. Was uh, gambling? <laughs> uh, no, uh, the fact that he did us all a favor and uh, took NBA players away from wearing grape smuggling. Um, uh, shorts and actually yeah. brought in a better pair of shorts for humans to wear on the court instead of ones that were dropping sack left and was, right. Was he responsible for that? Huh? 
He's was he's, he responsible for that? He gets the credit for the most oh, part. Oh, really? He popularized oh, okay. it. And if you look back at those shorts, they're still they're not hit, that. They're hitting like his mid quad, and there's bike shorts yeah. still hanging out of them. They're not even that ridiculous. Do you realize how many guys? My, my the favorite thing about old basketball, like seventies and eighties basketball, when it got really, really super athletic. Dudes were literally dunking and teabagging simultaneously on guys left and right. Yeah. And laughing about it. Yes. Everyone's crushed like they sat. Everyone looked like they sat in gum. (laughs) 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 Dude, what's going on there? Oh my god, those are your balls. Come on. Did you know did you guys play that game in high school or no? Wait, I what? Gum, pull your balls out. Yeah, you pull your pull. You stretch your sack out of the side of your in, the inner thigh of your shorts and be like, "Oh shit, guys, I sat in gum." And then <laughs> everyone would look, and you're like, <laughs> "That's right." Yeah, you got. I never, me. I never did that, uh, but I, I didn't even know about that particular like ruse until uh, <laughs> until I was already living out here, and it was a girl who told me about it. So I would do it around her. It's the best <laughs> if you had like a pair of like jean shorts that were cut off. And, you know, you wore them so long, you get that crotch hole, and you could yeah. just. <laughs> <laughs> Right out the bottom, dude. Yeah, it's good. It's good, uh, it's good ball itching access. Mm-hmm. The uh, the hole, so it make you know really get it out of the right away, especially in a hot summer day. <laughs> so what what uh, what got you out of um, Michigan? Uh, I moved. Um, I gr- I went to Michigan State and I graduated in '98, and I moved to Chicago. I thought that that was a good uh, transition city. It's like a it's it's a it's a more softball big city. You know, very welcoming. Very, yeah, it is sixteen-inch softball. So the ball <laughs> can't go through any windows. That's exactly uh, right. They, um, it was just a, a kind place to move to, and then I uh, Midwest did, still right got that Midwest quality you were used absolutely. to. The, but still, a city. Quality, the food you want, and it's still accessible in a four and a half, five-hour drive for me to go back and see my buddies who I just longed for after college, like I was consistently so depressed and sad that um, cause I stayed with my buddies from high school uh, through college. They eventually all came to Michigan state, whether they went oh, to wow. JC's and we all just lived in the same house, which some people might see as, as lame that we didn't go out and make a lot of new friends, but I don't care. I, I didn't care, man. We got to go ha- live our dreams out of, uh, from high school and all live as adults and boo yeah. all day and pump tunes and and smoke dope in the front yard on a couch and it was <laughs> beautiful <laughs> thing, worth every yeah. penny of the forty two thousand dollars or whatever i had to pay to michigan state for that experience but you're but you're right yeah it doesn't matter other people who gives a shit because if you guys were happy and you guys are all friends and your buddies that's kind of like that's the dream, dude. I wish my buddies from high school would have gone to college with me. That would have been fucking awesome. <laughs> it was, and it was great that after I graduated first, I was, I, I got out in four years. My parents. Doogie Hauser, buddy. You're the Doogie Hauser of the group. That was not a question of, uh, because my sister's four years younger, so they couldn't afford to have both of us in school at the same time. So you were on the clock. I, was yeah. on the, I graduated in four years flat. I had to do some summer classes, but when I moved to Chicago, all those buddies were still four hours away, and me having access to this fucking rad city that had bars that were open till four or five and they could come crash whenever they wanted to. And we could now get loose in the Chicago yeah. way. <laughs> was As sloppy adults. Dream. So, dream. When was this? When did you go to school? And when did you move to Chicago after school? What, what, what time frame were you talking about? Uh, I was, uh, I went from, I went to Michigan state from 94 to 98. And then okay. I moved to Chicago immediately. And I guess it was in August 
um, of 98. And then in 2000, I started to take improv Olympic classes and then slowly let comedy ruin my life up until now. And, here, and up until you were asked to do this podcast. <laughs> yeah. What was your degree? What did you go to school for? Advertising. Okay. And, and did you, and was that the reason why you made the move to Chicago was because it was known for that or that had nothing to do with it? It was just the closest major city. It was a, uh, it was an option for sure. I never got a job in advertising. There was a bad job market then. And I just could not get a job, even though I had good grades. I was a member of the American Advertising Federation and we're in the clubs. And I did the, the uh, project uh, advertising uh, projects and competed and I just couldn't get a job. And then uh, I took a job as a graphic artist for baby clothes. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Totally. Yeah. I can see that. Wait, wait, wait. Dr- designing them or drawing things on them? Both. Really? Like, we think a cool third arm would be fun on this baby onesie. No, like ballerinas, teddy bears playing football, anything you'll see at a TJ Maxx or a Sears, JCPenney, Marshalls. Wow, I designed for all the outerwear for um, Disney for children. Um, I designed for Oshkosh Bagash. I designed for Weather Tamer. And then I Dude, went so- on. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so when you say you were in advertising, but also like you d- was design part of it. And is, when you say design, is that strictly working with like physical materials or are you computer designing things oh, as well? No, you know, it's all done on computer, Adobe Illustrator. Oh, different, different even, even, back, even back then, huh? Yeah, different CAD wow. things. I had to learn a lot of that because... Uh, the classes were antiquated at a Big Ten university, and an older professor that doesn't know how to use Illustrator would just teach oh, you how yeah. to do everything on Cadillac blackboards and exacto knives. And then I went out into the real world, and they're like, must have Photoshop and Illustrator. I'm like, <laughs> why did I pay all this fucking money? And you didn't teach me any of the important shit. Yeah, to not be. Were you, were you, are you, uh, an, artist? Were you an artist? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, that was primarily what I did what my focus was as an advertising student was to be an art director. Okay. So you were, you were always drawing before that and doing stuff. Were you drawing, painting? Like what was your, what was your, like, like your just personal life as far as that kind of stuff? Um, in high school, I, I, you know, colored pencils, uh, pastels, oil pastels, watercolor, just, you know, like anyone else. And then you get your artwork hung up in the hallway and, yeah, you know, get a, well, get a see, no. That's not that's place. not like anyone else, though, dude. You said yeah, that, yeah, like, but you, you were obviously like, better than other people at it. Yeah, you, you knew that you, you had some talent. everyone was drawing and coloring and painting and shit, and that's not the case. I mean, Midwest high school. I mean, at least for me, it was like there was a lot of people like creativity is stupid. Yeah, <laughs> but I think towards the end of high school was when I started to transition from trying to be a cool athlete and realized that I had limitations on that and. At 5'11 and 175 pounds, I was not. Probably weren't going to play for the Pistons. (laughs) Nothing was going to happen for me. And I fell out of, I went to a Catholic school and I kind of fell out of love with that, the whole scene, I guess. And decided to do things um, like that I wanted. I quit the football team and joined the soccer team because I liked it better. And I didn't care what anyone thought of me. I quit, uh, I quit some honors math class to take theater and, would get up and sing and act and not be embarrassed about it. Cause I was going to be gone the next year and I didn't give a shit about any of those people anyway. It's well, almost like your, your senior year was like the movie office space. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. 
uh, with that with that uh, kind of general that general attitude carry over when you started stand up to be like man I'm, I'm I, I want to do this and I don't really give a shit what anybody thinks because like a big part of it for a lot of people is getting over that hump of fuck dude people are going to think I suck at this and it's not yeah. going to be comfortable yeah but I you- I before I started comedy I would always carry a tape recorder with me and. I'd like to be the funny one of my friends. You know, I like to do pranks and I would do prank phone <laughs> calls and record them. And I'd yeah. tapes and never thought that, Hey, you could actually, you know, coming from a small Midwestern town, you don't think that it's not pumped into your brain. Hey, you could be on like TV. You can be an entertainer in, until I figured that out. When I found that some of the people from my high school that were a little bit older and you might know them, they're schadenfreude. They're a uh, sketch group. And uh, Kate James, who was went to my high school a couple years older, she had this rad sketch group, and they were so funny. And I went up, to, and I this is a maybe a, a short time after I were I lived in Chicago, and I went up to her after the show, and and I was like, "Hey, how do I do this? Like, I don't I have no idea." And she goes, "Well, I started, and a lot of people, most people, you go to Second City or you go to Improv Olympic, or and you sign up for classes and." Take those, then you'll meet people, and then you'll just figure it out. And then I slowly, uh, from doing sketch and improv, whether I had a big head or whether it was true, I thought I was the funniest one. And then I decided I wanted all the attention. And I, and that was, <laughs> you know, that's what happened to a lot of a lot of the Chicago guys. If you know uh, Brady Novak or uh, T.J. Miller, uh, 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 Nick Vatterot. Um, Matt Bronger, most of most of them all, including myself, started doing improv, and then you get greedy. You're like, I can do this all by myself with a notebook. I don't need props. I don't need to rent a theater. I show up at this cool bar or this independent show, and I just smoke for like five minutes, man, and it feels way better than sharing the stage and having to give and take. And you don't have to worry about people's schedules and shit. It's your schedule. You write when you want. You go up when you want. You figure out your own shows. None of this practice. No meeting up to play red ball, green ball. I got a notebook, (laughs) and I'm a gunslinger now. Well, and and that goes back to my advertising question. So not only was your advertising more towards the art side, or were you also like, hey, I can write copy. I'm clever. I can, you know what I mean? Like, did you hone that craft as well during that time? Yeah, just like anyone else, I think if we when you work in advertising, you you kind of do both. You know, it yeah. just depends on which way you lean. I would have preferred to have been a copywriter, but so I you did have interest in the writing side of things. So you enjoyed sitting down and creating that part of it. Absolutely, yeah. And did and you? And, and did you? Uh, when you found yourself doing all the visual stuff, is that kind of? Do you think that that was a big part of your outlet? Is you kind of needed somewhere else to go? to do that other side? Is that what kind of drew you to start doing entertainment? Um, no, I, I, I just always loved, um, I, I loved being in theater when I was in, in high school and I would do, I would take Eddie Murphy's stand-up bits and I would rewrite them into sketches with my buddies and do like the ice cream scene, the ice cream thing or the, <laughs> the welfare burger. And, and we got great, we got A's and the, our teacher loved us and cried at our, graduation me and my buddy carl when we graduated because she thought we were such a waste of talent that she sat because no one else was just going out balls to the wall and being funny in class 
And, and she was crying because you guys were just fucking off. She's like, these guys are never going to go use this for anything. Two of the best students I've ever had. <laughs> Did you ever check back in with her and be like, hey, by the way, I use my my talents all the time now? My parents did. My parents said yeah. they, they, when I had a book come out and when I'd have some sort of success, they'd tell her about it. And she's like, that's so cool. Like, Good. yeah, you know. I completely misread your story, by the way, because you were like, and she cried and we we're going, I'm like, because she loved your talent so much. <laughs> you didn't want because you guys to leave high school. <laughs> yeah. Um, the opposite. Pretty much. But you know what's funny? I don't, Mike, I don't know how you feel about this stuff, but, you know, when you look back on your life, I think it's pretty absurd that administrators and teachers all the way through college put so much pressure on you to have everything figured out in your life mm-hmm. by the time you're 21 years old. Like what the, what are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, of course we don't. Like, especially when you look back on it, you're like ridiculous. Why did you, what, what did you expect? What did you think I was going to do? <laughs> right. But how far removed are they? Like how, how, how do you not remember like, look, I, I'm in my mid forties. How do I, I remember, I sort of still remember high school. I remember my friends. I remember kind of <clears throat> some of the feelings I had about like certain things and how I was like scared of a lot of shit. Like I remember those things. How does a teacher or a guidance counselor or some sort of administrator at a school not sort of have a recollection of being 16 going, I don't know what I want. And then being again, 21 going, I have no fucking idea what I want. And then being 35 and going, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and then being like in your mid forties going, dude, do you want to do a podcast? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> doesn't anybody have any kind of like, uh, John, you will not be doing speeches. at <laughs> school. I want to do, do a commencement speech so bad. I, you know, I guess what I'm saying, it's like, cause you know, I grew up watching uh, uh, the white shadow, so I know inspiration, but my point <laughs> is, no, but my current references, bro. Current. But my point is that I I understand that it's okay to give us all a nudge to guide us a little bit, kick us in the ass. We need some of Encourage. that. Young. Encourage. But I think the harsh reality of like you're a failure, or I think you should try something else because this is never going to work out for you. Like that that kind of shit. Like so cut and dry, so black and white at such a young age is just. It's it's it, to me it's just absurd. It's like how do you know that someone's not gonna whatever like if you were like a, wanted to be a song and dance man in high school and you weren't that good in high school does that mean for the next ten years you should not find out whether or not you really could develop into something or not? Right. I mean why do they no offense I'm sorry I'm gonna be a dad right now but why do they poo poo people so quickly? <laughs> on, is all I'm saying. Like, but I, I think I think that people should just be take some of that money that they were going to use for college and go to New York for a year and just figure it out. And then like, I didn't really figure out my life until I did that. After Chicago, I went to New York for four years and I was like, Oh, it really taught me what I liked and what I did not like and who I was when you're really forced into that pond. Chicago was so comfy. It didn't, it didn't jar me very much, but I think New York is where I got hardened and figured out that uh, things were not always going to go as planned. Okay, so let's talk you, about New York. What uh, yeah, were you were you doing? Like, a lot of standup there. Well, I was just yeah. saying, I was curious how you got there. Usually, when you by the time you decide to move to L.A. or New York, you're pretty fucking cocky. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I need to go. I'm going to crush it. So, yeah. what what was it was going on with you where you're like, all right, that's it. I'm going to crush it in New York. I got. Uh, I was the semifinalist for the Andy Kaufman Award. 
and I Ooh. think I think 2004, and I Dude, went right. and I went to New York to uh, to compete or whatever it is, you know, I forget where it was, Stand Up New York maybe, and after that I, I was like, I, I while I was there, I bumped around and did open mics, and did did well, like you know, the class I came up with in Chicago was so competitive. And so like it comes from a different place of of creativity, I think, because everyone was so mixed in with sketch and improv and people were more apt to try risky alt type things on stage and had more of a different storytelling picture painting style. And I did really well. And I thought immediately when I got back to Chicago, I was like, I'm done with Chicago. I want to get in this ring. I want to go work. I want to go, you know. Try my chops. Because you visited, you were treated well, and you did well on stage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everybody who visits is like, dude, I could really, I mean, this is fucking awesome. Everyone you know that lives there calls in a favor. When you first move to a city, you get to do so many shows because you got to put my buddy John up, man. He's so yep. funny. He yep. just moved yep. here. And you're, and that is your time. And in retrospect, yeah. like, that's the time you want to really like not fuck around, do your best set, keep your mouth shut and get off. I didn't, of course, yeah. do that. <laughs> Dude, none of us, none of us would have done what you, none of us would have done what you just said. I would have done the same loud fucking, here I am. And they're like, yeah. Dude, after a while, they're like, you get fucked. <laughs> right. So but you yeah. get there, so you're there, you're you're doing all this stuff, you compete, everyone's treating you really well, and you're like, I'm gonna go to New York. So you get to New York and what? Uh I uh I move with my ex-wife to uh New York and great guest. I know you, but I don't know you. All right, yeah. good. Yeah. She um she lasted less than a year, I would say six months before it came to like we had a we had a regular regularish life, but I had started to do. I was doing between stand up, improv, and sketch. I was doing ten shows a week in in Chicago because I had two sketch groups. Um, I had a uh, two improv troops, and then I did all these stand up shows. And I was just never home. And I was like, "Look, we got to go to New York. We got to go to New York." And she got her job to transfer, and then. Uh, it's gotta be like six months max. And she's like, we're, uh, we had a dog, Fozzie bear, a little pug. And she says, me and Fozzie are going back to Chicago. And I said, you know, basically bye. Um, I didn't, I didn't work so hard to get all the way here. It's too hard to move to New York. Like it's, I can't go back. And that was it. Did you guys meet, wow. where did you, did you guys meet pre entertainment or were you oh. in the midst of it? Okay, so it was because you had not done comedy until New York, right? So really, no, in comedy, no, you were Chicago, Chicago. I'm sorry, Chicago. sorry, not until Chicago. So, yeah. but not in not in college. When you guys were in college, it was just a different life. It was college life. It wasn't, yeah. hey, I'm going to be a stand up or hey, I'm going to be doing this. That was never the talk. So it kind of evolved afterwards in in the relationship. Yeah, in college, I was my mindset was that I was going to get a job as a at a big advertising firm and buy a house and have kids and that yeah. was it the midwestern way and, and i would have and, i would and, have and i just i barely got out of it yeah i wouldn't have been able to do so many things and like now that'd be different if i it wouldn't it wouldn't change my life completely but then it would have i couldn't have i couldn't have gone out and traveled to different cities and just been a loose cannon you know joke gunslinger with that sort of lockdown and yeah. she left and to be fair, she made the right decision. Um, I'm glad I did my life. You know, we don't have ill will towards each other. We don't Good, throw right. 
we don't really speak, but it was, she went off and she got a husband and she got, she got the thing she wanted. She yeah. got the two or three kids. I, I don't know. And the house in the suburbs. And I'm very happy for her. I would have felt, I'd feel awful to take that away from someone who's, you know, a good person and, and didn't deserve to be locked down to a, a, a chuckle drunk. <laughs> well, and also they don't, she didn't sign up for the ride and no. that's fine. And no. you wanted to go on the ride still. And it was probably, I'm sure there were times where it was very difficult and you probably questioned it and she questioned it, but then eventually it works out and you both look back and go, all right, we got through that. That's good. It was a good thing. Yeah. It's, it's always weird because it's always weird to tell people that sometimes, you know, divorce is a good thing. You know, that, that, looks at it goes, well, that must be a, that's going to be shit forever. It's like, no, a lot of times people move on and they find the life they were meant to live. Right. Yeah, what shit forever is when you stay in a relationship that sucks forever. That's what that's, shit forever. That's okay. insane. I mean, that is yeah. like, that is it. You see people like that and it's, it's heartbreaking. I don't and, understand. I don't understand. With the, with New York, did you, did it take you a long time to get in the scene there? Did you feel like you had to work harder? Um, did, what, Cause in LA, like we've talked about before in LA, you show up, kind of, you kind of described it before, but you show up. You're, you're fresh meat, you're new, everyone's excited, everybody's kind to you when you first get here and when you first arrive, you kind of get the circuit, everybody gives you a little welcome set, you know, like whatever, and you're like, oh, it's always going to be like this. And then the yeah. break, then you realize you're no, now you're just part of the old guard, if you will, right. up real estate, and no one's really that eager to get you up all of a sudden. What was your experience in New York? How did that go with New York? It, it was extremely lonely and hard for a long, long time. You know, like... I, the only people I knew in New York when I moved there were uh, Kumail Nanjiani and Pete Holmes. Those are the only two okay. people who had transitioned to New York. And Those guys have done okay. They've done, they've, they've done all right. I feel like they're okay. uh, going to get there. They're going to get there. I think in a couple of years, you're going to see them really transition. You're going to hear, hear about those two kids. Yeah. But, you know, they, they can only – people like that can only do so much. They can introduce you to Eugene Merman who, who runs this show and he either decides to put you up based on a tape or not. And that was really it. But I spent a lot of time um, just depressed with a bottle of straight vodka on a living room floor because I didn't know anyone. And I just, I was lost and, you know, understandably whether it was warranted or not going through a divorce is a very emotionally straining thing. And, on top of it, I was working a day job again, a different baby clothes company. Now I'm working for. Wow. I'm I'm going into a uh, office and and dealing with new people, and then at night I'm going to shows because you got to go hang out if you want to get up. Mm. And I go to every open mic I could, and go to bed at three in the morning, hungover, and then get up at six and go design baby clothes e- every night for four years. I did that. I never stayed home, and I got so beaten down by, and I hated that job. I didn't want to yeah. someone being hung over. And all you care about is whether you can get your set right for the night. And someone's screaming at you that a pink isn't pinky enough for grandma to buy, like having that dead serious discussion. So, some uh, shit go get so and like, it's just like, I don't, I don't care, Cindy. I don't fucking care. <laughs> and I would, I would do that. I would, you know, like you're hung over. Sometimes you snap for no reason. I would yeah. just, I would just be like, I don't fucking know, Cindy. I'm going to leave, and you're going to tell me whether I work here when I come back on Monday. And I would just walk out because I wanted to get fired so bad. Never did. Of course not. Um, 
And uh, real quick, I just want to bring Cindy in real quick. Cindy, if you wouldn't mind joining us. <laughs> I want to get Cindy's side of this. She was live via satellite. She heard you were on the show and really wanted to share her positive experience <laughs> with you. And I'm um no, Jerry, but so, that's interesting. I, do you yeah. so go so let's take a step back for a sec. You said you didn't know anybody in New York. So why you, the, the two choices in stand-up is New York and Los Angeles. Why did you choose uh, New York? And um, because it, that is even though you had a wife and a dog, that's totally fine. You have a built-in yeah. buddy. But normally we always know somebody, right, that we can yeah. buddy up uh, with in the city we go to. Her uh, job uh, transferred her there. Now She worked for the Four Seasons. So it, uh, it, it was a free move. It was pay for the, the – pay for everything to get moved there and pay okay. for the costs and let us. And we stayed in the hotel for a month while we waited for a place. Cause it's so, di- it's just difficult to move there. It's hard, dude. You got to have a guy that shows you places and that's the, oh, it's, yeah. it's a scam. Yeah. Uh, if I can, I can fast forward a little to five years later after doing all that. And I met my friends that are still uh, my nearest and dearest uh, to this day. As I, after, as I lived there for a long time, like, Guys like Vince Averill and Jesse Pop have become my lifelong friends. They're like brothers, like family to me. And they eventually came to Los Angeles. But at some point, I got burned out of New York. I thought it was going to kill me. I, I, I thought if I stayed there much longer that I would uh, I wake up cold on a couch. And I visited uh, Mike Bridenstine and Mike Holmes, very, again, brothers to me, who live, well, here in, Chicago. Who live in Los Angeles, who I knew, li- knew from Chicago. And they let me sleep on their couch. And I saw how nice L.A. was. I'd never come and really experienced it. And I was like, I can skateboard to the store to buy beer. And it's 75 or 80 and perfect every day. And in L.A., the migration of Chicago had come in full force. Boom. There was a boom. When you guys came, that was a Chicago boom. We were, you guys. We were a gang walking around yeah, with, with beer cans in our hands. <laughs> and... It was very different than New York. It was vouchers meant something. When Matt Bronger told someone to put me up, I got put up. When Kyle Kinane said put Burns up, they were like, shit, better put him up. And then after having been in New York for five years and having been in Chicago and done stand-up for, what, seven, uh, I was ready to be in a place like Los Angeles and go up and do well and professionally handle myself on stage. Do you think, uh, when you look back on that, Chicago or New York molded your comedy and how you approached uh, stand up? Chicago, a thousand percent. Okay. And so that's kind of what you carried out to Los Angeles. There was kind of that stopgap in New York, but didn't really change you as a comedian as far as how you delivered, how you carried yourself, and all that kind of stuff. I, I wouldn't say that was a big influence on that at all. I would say that living in New York, again, very much hardened me and made me able to step in front of a, not because no matter who, no matter what. Yes. In Chicago, I felt like you, know, you were always, you're staring at your set. You're like, I was nervous. It was more of a few and far between as far as the good shows are. But in New York, uh, everyone was so much more loose and fast and talked about what they did that day as opposed to stock material. And I, I think I thrived doing more improvised type comedy in New York. And it, it, it just hardened me. You know, it was like, you go play with the big boys for a few years, like people that are vicious crowds and like uh, people threatening to punch you on stage and, and, mm-hmm. and being able to do 
in a, in a six block radius to be able to go at seven, do this mic, eight, do this show, 1030, do this show, do a show at 1230, keep it rocking till two or three with your buddies, get up and go design baby clothes. Want to kill yourself. <laughs> it's contemplate suicide, 11 AM to noon. And then when I, and then when I went to LA, it was a little, there were less shows and they were more spaced out and you got to go to the Valley sometimes, but I feel like they had more meaning because here there was a way to get paid writing television or doing comedy. And I, I felt that there was more importance to go up and look, look, these two building blocks of and skill sets from Chicago and New York. I, I feel more confident than ever in Los sure. Angeles. And I don't care what anyone thinks about it. I've got all these buddies and they're always at the shows and they're always there to pat you back. If you stink, it's better than if you're good, do well. Yeah, they like I, they like it better if you go up there and eat your own dick because then they can laugh about it all night and like, it doesn't matter. If you're familiar with like C.J. Sullivan, man, like a guy like that in the back of a room cackling while you bomb because he thinks it's funny. Yeah, that's all that matters. That's fun, dude. That's fun. That's fun. I agree. Mm-hmm. I, that's that's some of the best stuff about. Um, just kind of being able to do comedy in areas where we're all sort of together. Like you can go to a show and other comics will be there. And then you get that. Like if someone yeah. eats shit on stage, it becomes hilarious for whoever's, unless it's horrific and the person's crying, I, you know, <laughs> but, but if, like, if it's like comical and you know, these people that like, I think that Midwest, like uh busting balls and, and kind of giving each other a hard time. I like that shit. It just makes me laugh and it's always funny and it makes you feel a little better. Even if you have an off night, uh, it's kind of okay. You know? I call it playing catch. Like when the rest of the crowd goes away and it's just you and like two buddies in the back of the room. And now you're just throwing the ball back and forth to each other and everyone goes away. And all you care about are those two who are yeah. rolling in the back of uh tiger lily or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, uh, did you try to find a job when you first got out or did you, or did you extend uh, what we like to call, um, in LA when you first get here, did you, ex- how far did you extend your cocaine vacation while you came out here? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never been a Coke guy. Well, it's not about the Coke itself. It's just about the ride, like man. The general attitude of like, hey, I'm going to be on your couch for a little while. And yeah. that being like two months and like, hey, man, you got anything to eat? Everything's a fucking party. Everything's a vacation. Yeah, Everything is awesome. It's nice out. It's, it's spring break. <laughs> that, that is, that is, that's really interesting. I, I wrote out my savings is what I did. When, before I moved uh, from New York, I knew I was, I didn't tell anyone I was doing this. I kept it very secret and I got a job as a, uh, at a mezcal bar, as a bar back and a cook. And I just saved every penny of that money, never touched it and put it in a pile to move to. to On top uh, of your baby clothes job too? Yeah. And I see, dude, you were like constantly awake. Yeah. I was there. I was at that job until like 4 a.m. How did you not like cocaine? I don't understand. It sounds like you were gone. You would have saved no money, but you would have been able to work those jobs like a machine. Right. Well, I think makes, you just answered your own question, John. <laughs> You'd I mean, still be makes, doing it, but it makes me want to kill myself, is why it's really easy for me to not touch it. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> but I would, I, I saved up that and then I just, I didn't quit the baby clothes job. I went home for Christmas with two suitcases that I packed up, went to my parents' house in Michigan. I left. All my stuff at work on the desks, CDs, pairs of shoes, you know, just stuff that you've got at your desk at, a, at an office job. I don't quit. I tell them I'll be back in two weeks. I don't, I don't, I don't quit the mezcal bar. I go, to, I go to L.A. And after like a month, 
my bosses called me and they're like, Hey, uh, we got a question about this. Oh yeah. We're just wondering, are you coming back soon? Or, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> were, you still getting, were you still getting paychecks by any chance? Oh no, no. Oh, okay. 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 I was like, okay. what kind of work? What that kind of- would have been awesome. <laughs> I worked as an independent contractor. Okay. Oh, okay. So, but I was still a full-time job. I was just, uh, I'm still paying off some of those taxes because in New York, oh, you need you need all the money. In 2007, I needed all the money I couldn't pay. Yeah, you couldn't, so, you couldn't give any to the government at that time. That's almost that's almost taken care of. But um, I what did you, so you um, did you uh, forgive me for you had some uh, some success on Twitter early on when you were out here as well. Is that true? Yes. And are we can we talk about that a little bit oh, yeah, yeah. And, and the genesis of that? Like, was that like how did that even just even come about? And were, did you have a regular Twitter account and you just got bored or like what? What was your approach of of that world? Because that was a, how long ago was that now? Um, when did Twitter come out? I can tell you exactly when I start the Dad Boner account. Um, it's april 14th 2010 so we're just oh, happy happy anniversary to the dad boner <laughs> just a decade and yeah. it, still, it still goes on it's still the 2010 uh, yeah it's still rocking um uh i worked at a job i worked at a store called glory on hollywood oh. boulevard yeah and i ran that store uh first started as a clerk and then became the manager or a fashion buyer, I guess, and would pick out all the clothes and curate the store. And um, I took that job over another design job because I just wanted, I just wanted to barely get by. So I had absolute zero care about working. So, you know, I didn't want another baby clothes job. I didn't, I just wanted to do the stand up. I, so I took that for, I don't know, eight bucks an hour, 10, whatever it was. Just, yeah. Just to make those ends almost touch. And that's like 2004, five or six, I think, maybe 2006. I start writing this dad boner account while I'm at work, uh, kind of therapeutically, and uh, just taking my frustrations out and trying to figure out in my head, but through this character of like what what I should be grateful for, if that makes sense, because the character is a guy who was in his mid forties and he has a a midlife crisis and moves in with his buddy, Dave. And he's, and I make a person who has a destroys their family life and then has a, a shittier life because of it. And I would, I would make that character come alive for me as a friend. I called it playing Carl. His name's Carl Walzine. And I would play. So, these, so Dad Boner and Carl are the same person. Yeah. When I was. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. His his real name is Carl Walzine. Is this he, the same guy who likes Guy Fieri? Oh yeah, he loves Guy. Fieri. Yeah. 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 Right. 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 Okay. <laughs> He's a but big I, fan. I was, you know, I was broke like a lot of people. Like you said, I was sleeping on a couch, and I was, I was, I was depressed sometimes, even though I, I really enjoyed being in Los Angeles. But I used this guy as a, uh, as as being somewhere else for me in trying to figure out humanity in a, in a weird way. And, you know, that character just grew and grew and grew. And it eventually got me out of that day job that I had because I didn't focus on having a a big professional career and only focused on comedy. 
the job that I had that was shitty that I wrote this stuff at in my free time while I ignored customers <laughs> got bought as a book by HarperCollins, and that paid me enough money that I could quit the job. But can I ask you a question? Because I'm always fascinated with the Twitter thing. So one, did you have your own standard Mike Burns account that you were doing and it was really, there was, it wasn't in the active. And then when you created this character, did you do anything specific actively to try to get it noticed or, or how did it take off and how did you notice that it was taking off? I mean, I always had my own account. I think it was originally Mike underscore Burns underscore. And then it was, um, toilet wine for a while. And then it finally, uh, landed on pizza nachos 69, which still is. are all your favorite things in one handle. Look at that. <laughs> I, uh, I made a, uh, what was not Tinder. What's the one? Okay. Cupid. I made an okay oh. account and I named my, my handle was pizza nacho 69. I tried to make the worst, uh, dating <laughs> account. And then I was like, Oh, this is super funny. I changed it to my, to my Twitter account. And then there was, the, of course, the, the dad boner account was completely separate. So how those were two separate thought processes. You, sorry, I was just going to ask, okay. how did dad boner take off? Like, how, what, 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 what happened? Was there, was there a moment where you noticed that it was starting to, like, something happened where you're like, oh, this is starting to. The first big break for that account was uh, uh, Shane Nickerson retweeted something from him. And it just kind of goes from there. You know, it's. Yeah. Crazy was, how that shit grows. And I worked for him on ridiculousnesses, ridiculousness for I guess five seasons as a writer. And he's he uh he really kicked it off, you know, and it really was that because it was that character has never retweeted anyone. Is does, does not, he follow anybody? Never responded to anything, does not like anything ever as a rule until I yeah. started having to do promotion for for various things through it um he follows a bunch of people yeah there's there's what you would call the original followers which i just went and found random people that were just normal people along with like chili's applebee's Coors Light, (laughs) his his favorite restaurants and yeah and that was all he followed but other than that it's completely organic it's very strange and it's it's it started to get attention of people um I think like Dax Shepard and and Kristen um, Bell were Bell, big yeah. So even if I didn't see it, I think that they started to retweet things here and there. And but that's awesome. And also, if I remember correctly, you were not actively promoting that it was you, correct? Early on, a lot of people didn't know who this account was, and was that intentional? Yeah, absolutely. It was very. It was supposed to feel real. It was supposed yeah. to feel like a very real guy, to the extent that any bars that I had him go to or restaurants or anything, I would call ahead to that restaurant or bar and ask who was working. And then when I would have him in the story, go to the bar, I knew that at Patty's pub on the golf course in Grand Blanc, Michigan, Carly was working and he would hang out and talk to Carly. Then I'd look up the menu and have him eat all the stuff off that menu. And it was, oh, wow. It was that dialed for for years. And you didn't, you didn't, but you also did not – was there a reason – I'm assuming you didn't want to tell other comedians about because you didn't want people to blow it for you, right, and try to get in on the joke? Was that part of it? Like to keep – sure. otherwise people would come in and, and hack the account page. Oh, try to, yeah. Or just blow, blow up my spot. You know, it's just Santa Claus. You don't tell the kids Santa Claus is fake. And What's that now? What's that? I don't think – what it's not well, fake. You meant, <laughs> you meant, you meant well, not yeah, coming yeah. tonight because it's not Christmas. Right, right. right. 
At what point did you have to, was it when the, when people started approaching you to like do other stuff with the character that you kind of had to own up to some of this and some more people found out at that point or how did you handle it? Um, no, I got outed by uh, Drew Magari on Deadspin. He did a three-part article of trying to who he is. I want to say that, Brian, you're the one, because I followed those accounts, I think, before I even knew it was you, Mike. And I think Brian was the one who sent me the Deadspin article. Yeah. I was like, hey, that's Mike Burns. I was like, what? And I was like, oh, cool. So <laughs> I, like, been, I never knew it was you. I had been following it for a long time. I had stumbled upon it. Sent me that article, because we had talked about it, because I followed both. I, I followed that account, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's funny. And then so I think there was there was like someone mentioned it might be you. And I was like, okay. But then I would kind of do the, not, not deep research, but like, go to your page. No mention of this guy, go to his page. No mention of you. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it's no, because know. we're so used to comics telling everybody everything, everything they're doing and who's paying attention to them and how successful they are. So it's mind boggling to find someone who is saying nothing about something they're having success in, which is, which is also, Really, when we're talking about it now, it was a part of the plan and it was a necessary part of the plan, or maybe it never would have gotten to where it was if you yeah. jumped if you jumped the shark too quick. Right. You don't want to, it was it was Banksy shit, you know? It was just yeah. it was for me. That's probably why it took off, is because it was for you and you and and you know, maybe a few couple people you might have told, but like the joke was always there for you. You enjoyed the account and you did it. I, it came from a place of just like I said, enjoying it and liking it and not yeah. from a place of, I'm going to make this a book. I'm going to quit my fucking job. I'm going to like, that was never, you don't start a Twitter account going, man, I'm going to be a billionaire. <laughs> you know, you, right. you do that Especially shit. Then. Yeah. Cause you don't know, we didn't know the power of Twitter no. really. No. I mean, like you said, you got a book deal, man. They made, I mean, they were poorly conceived, but they made TV shows out of Twitter accounts. You know? Yeah. I had one. I had a comedy central pilot animated. Did you really? You oh, for, for Carl? Yeah. Oh, very, I didn't know very, that. Very expensive animated TV pilot that sits on a shelf, but it's on oh. – I have it on Vimeo somewhere. If you have the direct link, you can watch it. It's good. Oh, Shadow, Shadow Machine did it. Say, oh, you said it's good. That's why they didn't pick it up. Well, I want to talk I want to talk about that in in a sec, but I want I want to I want to put a button on the on the the Twitter thing which is what I find were you both pissed off that somebody went that far to uh um uh, you know, blow up your secret. And secondly, were you also laughing your ass off? There was a three-part investigative series that someone was actually investigating, trying to find you. Is actually this guy likes guy Fiari. We got to figure out who he is. I, I think it's I think it's actually two, and then he does a follow-up one with me later. Wow. Um, the third, the second. There's one that who is Dad Boner. Can't figure it out. That's what the whole article's about. The second one is that you probably saw is just my fucking face. This is who Dad Bonner is. I immediately went to the store and I bought when I saw that that morning. Seething. I'm I'm red hot, like shaky, like what do I fucking do with this? I can't process this. Someone like someone, you know, this was something that was the most precious thing to me in my entire in my life was Carl Welzine. And someone took that ability away from me. So I went to the store, I got a 30 pack and I sat at, uh, I was living on Kensington and uh, above Echo Park Lake. Dude, I, I used to live on Kensington. 
Maybe right off, Kensington, right, right off Kensington on Douglas when I first moved here in 2000. Oh, wow. yeah. you, guys, you guys were roommates? You don't know it? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, okay. I was, no, it was a tiny apartment where I live. But yeah, go ahead. I, I, I sat down and I just started crafting a new storyline. And there's this beloved character named Homeless Peanut. And Carl had brought him home from a soup, soup uh, kitchen to, be his, to live with him on the floor and be his buddy. And everyone loved Peanut, man. Peanut talk like Billy Gibbons. It's like, it's like if you can if you could write out the way you picture Billy Gibbons. Billy talk, Gibbons, yeah, really cool, man. Like a mix between Billy Gibbons and John Fogerty. You know, <laughs> Peanut's African American character. Um, I killed him in direct response to being exposed to being like someone coming in. In and it was. Like a hostage situation, and you killed the hostage. It was a hostage situation. I took the most beloved character that everyone who are diehard fans loved. I put a gun to his head. I'm like, you don't fucking do this. You don't. You don't touch my my uh, my IP. And I fucking killed him. I had him die, froze to death in a car around Christmas time or something. How'd that play out? Everyone. No one got mad at me. Everyone got mad at Drew Magari. Everyone oh, knew who oh, did it. That's good. If you, so he'll if, get misery, and not you. Still, he's still like if I post anything about about uh, about Peanut, people will tweet at him. You killed Peanut. You fucking <laughs> killed Peanut. Still, you know that's six seven years ago. Wow. Um, so, but because of that story, that's how they found you to give you the book deal. Yes and no. Um, oh. Some people, I I was I did get a ton of followers out, off of that. To be fair, yeah. and in retrospect, I'm not mad at all. I like Drew. I think he's a good writer. Um, yeah. uh, but you know, my hair trigger at that day was like, "I'm fucking, I'll hit you with a bat, kill this." All guy. stories, yeah. All stories to start with. So I went and got a thirty. <laughs> yeah. But um, if, and there so was a lot of hugging at the end. The, did the did the book deal and the TV stuff was it simultaneous or was it one after the other? And if you wouldn't mind, and I'll just kind of sit back here, I'd be curious as to what the process was for the book, and and how you crafted a book, and then what the process was, and how easy and or hard you know making a television show, especially animated, was. Uh, the. Uh... The book is the deal is signed, and I have to write the pitch. The pitch is, I think, six thousand words. Like when you book, writing a book pitch is the absolute worst worst part of writing a book because it's not going to get published. You've got sample chapters that might get junked, and then you've got a whole backstory of why I should write this. It's oh, awful. Yeah. You pitching awful. yourself to this publishing it, company, right? It, yes, through uh, CAA. It's gross. So essentially. Timeline would be that the account gets popular, and then uh, I think I guess I sign with uh, I get an agent and I get a manager, and then the book with a specific purpose of trying to sell the book, and then it becomes more popular. I think maybe after no before it must have blown up with the Drew Magari stuff. So I go from like 33,000 followers to 90 to 120 to 170. Now I think it sits at around 127. And then after wow. the book, when, after the book comes out, we go to shop the, the uh, TV show, which I co-wrote with uh, Tim Long, who writes for the, the Simpsons. Um, because obviously no one's going to trust me with this. 
you know, I'm, I'm green. Well, just because you know enough about this town to know you need to bring someone else in there with you who they recognize. Yeah. That's just it. It's not because they don't trust you. It's because they're unoriginal and don't can't think for themselves. And like, you know, for you, early, newer writers, it's not so much about whether you can write the dialogue or the descriptives. It's about the structure. Like, it's, it's, sure. for anyone, I still, some people are really good at it. I don't tend to like to write outlines. I'd rather just go... Page one, page 30. Hope I can get the act breaks jammed in there somewhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he, uh, he helped me learn a lot about how to properly structure a show after writing on the Simpsons for, you know, 15 years. And the show was grueling to make. I was such a stickler and so emotionally connected to that character and had every last detail in my head of, from the past you know, six years at that time that I was very specific about every beer can, every, I wanted every logo and everything, the shirts. It wasn't just like when you watch South Park, it's just like a red shirt and it just says like Cheetos on it. I was like, no, it has to say this. And I thought I was being a prick, but anyone I asked during that process was like, no, this is yours. It's your money. They're earning it from you. Do what you want. And I loved the end product so much as far as a pilot goes. And the only answer I got as to why it wasn't going to be shown on Comedy Central was, we're not feeling it. Do you own it? Dude? Uh, I, th- I think essentially. I don't, I don't know what the, the, the pure legality of that is. But those things, it's, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars to make. Yeah. So they like gave that. you a response of, we're not feeling it. We're not feeling it. Dude, that's what someone says if you're on a road trip and you put on a song they might not want to listen to. Like, dude, I'm not feeling this. Dude, let's <laughs> right. listen to something else. Like, we, that's we, not a response you give over, like, somebody's l- l- project they labored over, like, I'm not feeling it. Well, you know what? I'm going to roll it up tight and tap it into your dick hole. You'll feel it then. We recut it, like, ten times. We redid the voices with me as the lead. Gary Cole's the lead on it, and he does a fantastic yeah, job. Gary Cole is awesome, yeah. He, he is awesome. I mean, this cast was. So he plays Carl? He plays Carl. Jane Lynch plays his boss. Um, uh, a guy from Sons of Kim Coates. Dude. Uh, he plays Crazy Cooley. Tig. Tig from Sons of Anarchy. Yes. Judy Greer is in it. Um, who else? Uh, there's one There's one more. Um, no, not, not David Koechner. Uh, Dave... Uh, Dave from um, Veep. King of the oh Bald, oh um, oh yeah, uh, I know you're talking about, but isn't it? Yeah 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 yeah. Back it all, Dan. Back it all. Yeah yeah yeah. Places oh yes me. yes yes from Jim Jeffries show. Yeah yeah, also, yeah. I just wanted a cool cast. I was like, I don't care if they're popular on social media. I just want Dude, that's a badass cast. Actors that's a that are really good cast. Interesting and perfect. And in retrospect, that's one thing I fucking learned that I would I would have taken people who were big time Twitter numbers and influencers and got it on the air because oh, so you think that's what they were looking for. Not completely, but I think that Nick Kroll as a lead would have gotten the dicks harder at uh, comedy central than uh, Gary Cole, yeah. who doesn't have a Twitter account or you know, yeah. maybe he does. I don't know. No one cares. Well, he's he, yeah. Gary Cole's again. Yeah. I, mean, I, get, I get, I get what you're saying. With the, can I, so I'm just curious. Cause obviously you, you have a history with this Twitter account was part of the rule with either the television show or the book was that don't don't repeat. You got to come up with something new, otherwise, what's the point of selling it? Um, or, or 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 were you allowed to pull for both of those products uh, from what you had already done? Absolutely pulled, and that was because I 
didn't want anything different than what was in the account because I didn't want that backlash of hardcore fans who would be the seed money to get this rolling on a, in a, you know, by being shared and watched and talked about that. Well, it's not the same. Oh, Carl doesn't say that he doesn't do that because that's what I would do. I'm like, I don't like this. This isn't like the book that I read. He's you want it. The reason people buy the book is because they like the Twitter account. They like what he was saying. They want more of that, like especially, not less of it, <laughs> especially with the TV show. But with the book, the book is essentially the first, I think year and a half, two years, maybe just the first year of the Twitter feed rewritten into a book form. How is how is the book world? What was that like after the book was done? Like, what? How did it go? Like, what's the experience of having? It was fun because it. I I got it was something I got to hold. If that makes sense, when I got the it was a hard, it was a, yeah the finished product. It's it was so much different than watching something you made like. It, and knowing how much work went into that. Um, sorry, repeat the question. Oh, just I was just curious as to once the book is out, like what's that world like? What are the expectations? What did you have to do? You know, uh, um, something that I will uh, kick myself in the ass for is that I was kind of a prick about promoting it with the book company because I held the, I still held the account precious and I wanted that balance somehow. If me never ever or the character never ever acknowledging that he has a book out which they their minds were so they're like what are you talking about he has to advertise his own book and we would we would fight about it and i'd be like no carl doesn't know about this book so i had to fabricate that carl had a book out and some people got pissed and i and i should have just not cared what anyone thought and i should have just had him promote the book and push 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 and i think we got maybe a thousand copies or less short of getting on New York times bestseller list. Oh, and, and I should, and, but I still didn't care. I'm like, no, no, I'm about the art, man. I'm about the art. And that's, well, that's 2010. Right. What that's 10 years ago. <laughs> I'm 44. I was 34. Then 34 year old Mike Burns uh, cares a hell of a lot more about art than 44. <laughs> Mike Burns cares about paying his fucking bills. Was 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 thirty four was thirty four year old Mike Burns ever aware of the fact that if that book did well, he could write another book and a third book and a fourth book and had and had a pretty good series there? Was that ever part of the discussion? That's what and I did. you kind of took a dump on that a little bit with the artiste uh, angle. I I know that a lot of the people from that book company have left. They're not. They're not even there, so maybe that would have helped them out of the business. <laughs> maybe not. I guess that. I guess it comes out in. It's not necessarily ten years ago. I'm not 34. I've, I've got to be like 38 or or something. 37. So none of your story is true, is what you're saying. You just. Yeah. Want to <laughs> I was like, I'm not I'm, even really dead on it. I'm terrible with dates and numbers. I'm trying to. Think <laughs> oh, dude, but words. I mean, when you looked at the book thing, like you said, you pulled the first year and a half. So I was just curious if you had thought to yourself, okay, well, this is book one. There could be a book two oh. and a book three that basically is an anthology of this guy's life yes. in book form. You know, kind of similar. You make a pilot, but of course you're going to pull all the other stuff, and that's going to become the series, the journey. I, I still want that to happen, and that was the plan. The plan was that there would be – it would be like – books two and three would be like Use Your Illusion, where they would have that color scheme was what I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> that's and, funny, yeah. And or just two would because one essentially has the usual illusion one color scheme, but I wanted to have 
you know, three books. I wanted them to, to keep coming out like, like, like Bosch books or, you know, <laughs> like whatever reference. Like Bosch. Yeah. Yeah. And I still like to do that. That may happen. Uh, I've got a bazillion documents of, of doing every Carl tweet ever was what I think I would rather put out as a self-published book is to have all of them and trim out the fat. So you can just boom, 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 boom. It honestly took longer for me to rewrite the Twitter account into book form than it would have to just write a new book. How long did it take from the time you signed the deal to the the time you got your final draft approved? Uh, Again, I don't. I mean, are we talking years or months? Oh, like three months. Okay, that's not bad. Wow. It was, I would go to a coffee shop in Echo Park. Um, What's it called? Last, something books, books. Either way, it's not Yeah. Either way, it's not not now. Um, and what about the pilot? So they pass on the pilot at that point. Had you, did you say, all right, well, can we take it somewhere else? Or, or at the, when, when you made the pilot, there really was nowhere else at that time to go. Tried to take it everywhere. And another mistake that I may have, may could be a mistake. Could be not Amazon had already bought it and they drug their feet so long that someone at one of my, I think my manager called, Comedy Central and said, Amazon's not, not, is dropping the ball on this. Do you want it? And they're like, yes. And we gave it to Comedy Central and then they didn't play it. I, I, I it pains me to think if it could have been a, an Amazon show that would have been sustainable. So is Amazon any- would have funded it up front. They wanted it first, yeah. Okay, interesting. And they so were, were they the deficit financers of it as well? They would have been, yeah. Oh, but, okay. But it was early Amazon, so. Okay. They, it didn't have this cachet that they do now. They're still trying to figure out their, their yeah. uh, television department. And it, that could have just taken a shit too, but I, it's and what if. my last question in, with respects to that is um, whose choice was it to make it an animated versus a live action? Uh, I always wanted a uh, live action. I wanted it to feel real and dark and that's what I prefer in just in general and in, in comedy. But they wanted an animated show, so it's animated. You, did you create? Did you draw the characters? Did no, you do or no, you didn't have any. You didn't have. You didn't. You didn't sit down and kind of give roughs and hand them to somebody else, kind of thing, or no? No, not at all. I mean, okay. it was a huge process of of. Does this look like him? No, this, this, this. it goes on for. Oh, a really? So they yeah. asked you, but they asked you like, "What do you think of this guy? What do you think of this guy?" I, like, I was, you know, an EP on it, so I had fun. Yeah. Say on you it. had good, 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 Absolutely good. That's good. Every, Every voice, every drawing, if someone was going to hold a chainsaw, I, I approved every last little tiny thing. That's Full awesome, time. dude. Did you enjoy, I mean, obviously both of those things were new processes in your journey. Did you enjoy both processes or at times did it just feel like, wow, this is not really what I thought all this entertainment shit would be like? I enjoyed the book more because it was just me. Uh, I, I think I started to say this. I, I would go to this bookstore with a full charge on a laptop and I would write until the battery died. And then I was done for the day. You know, and I was like, that's all I can. That's all I can do is pound the keys that whatever that yeah. is for four hours. And the uh, the cartoon was very satisfying when I worked on it. But I was I was in a bad spot, I think, personally, just in my personal life when I worked on the actual show i was not happy and i that that really took a lot of enjoyment away from me also like 
you know, you, you think you're getting these fat checks in for these things. And after everyone takes a piece, I remember I was supposed to get a check. I was broke and I was supposed to get a check. It was like for eight or 10 grand. And after like this, we paid for this and we did this. It was for $212. Wait, what? Oh, my God. When you say we paid for this, we paid for that, what, what, you talking about TV or you talking about for the book? Managements, lawyers, or are you talking about like – All of that. All of that, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I had been I had been lent, lent money by reps, you know, that would – and it's just like, like, oh, no, we'll take care of it. Because if you've ever you – know, that's just the way it is sometimes. They're like, oh, we'll take care of it. Oh, no, no. Oh, we'll figure that out later. Oh, we'll figure that out later. Okay. Well, accounting did this. You get $212. Wow. And you're supposed to be working on a television show for that. You're, you know, you're an EP on you're like, You created it. Mother you, you're not just an EP. Without you, there is no brain that creates this show that you're working on. You're the head writer on this show that costs a bazillion dollars. And I couldn't scrape money together. To 212 bucks. My phone bill and I, my my unemployment like ran out and I was just so destitute. I lived some. I lived in WeHo f- for a couple months. I fucking. Oh my God, your face. He's like, I lived in WeHo. I just. I, I was trapped. I was landlocked, and I was. I was just a, yeah. a complete disaster. And, I, and what I wanted so bad was, I was like, this has to go. This has to get sold. If this gets sold, then I get the money. The next money's mine. I'm out of here. I'm going back to Silver Lake or Echo Park. I'm going to whatever. I'm getting the fuck out of here. It's going to be gravy. I'm just going to go to work in a nice office and make stuff. And then they take it away from you. And you've got a lot of life figuring out to do. Yeah. What what was the next step for you after after that stuff? Um, They, uh, well, I did a book tour which was, that was super fun. I, br- this I brought, is all kind of around the same time as the, the television stuff? When the book comes out and then I come back and I go more into the television stuff. Okay. But, okay. But initially when the book comes out, I, I go, went out on, on the road with Matt Bronger. I brought him cause he's such more of a, a much stronger stand-up comedian than I am. And again, the same thing with the writer. I want to, I want the best product in everything I do primarily. Whether I take a loss on it, whether it takes some spotlight away from me, I'd always rather play on a better team than be on a superstar on a losing one. You make a good point. Let's bring in Matt Bronger to get this podcast <laughs> up. And not. Matt, if you just come on in and actually really entertain the folks that are you listening. You take it home. You take it home. <laughs> we, uh, so yeah, I got to go around with my buddy and go to like Minnesota. I was going to say, plus he's your friend. So you're out on the road with your friend and it takes off a little bit of the nervous or the edge of like, at promoting this book all the time and you know i do stand up he does stand up i we read stuff out of the book uh we have we'd have i'd have local guests you know just whatever open micers or, or uh smaller time comedians in small towns come and open and it was fun to meet them and hang out with them and i hadn't done much of the road at all but the most gratifying thing was that i had never seen people who were fans in real life because it's just it's all twitter and like i did a show at the portland festival that had a line three blocks long outside of the venue stand to pull the chairs out and there were it was like 600 700 people i'd never all for for dad boner stuff that's fucking great dude like that was before we do the tour that's when everyone saw like oh other cities must have this and we went out and did, you know, 
17 different cities and I got to be a, a rock star for a short time period. Did you get to go back to Chicago and get to go to Michigan and yeah. get to go to like places Detroit. you live? Yeah. Yeah. Detroit in Chicago. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, here's what I learned that I wasn't cut out for or necessarily. And, and again, we talked a lot about stand up. I never consider myself a very good stand up comedian. I consider myself a funny guy and a guy who can, has got a rap on him and can talk trash, but the craft of stand-up comedy like John does or like a Pete Holmes, who I just, I'm not very good. And I admitted that to myself <laughs> towards the end of this tour that maybe I should just try and focus on writing and like not beat myself up so much. The catalyst was when I was in Dallas and it was the second to last um show of the uh of the tour and Bronger had to leave to go somewhere else to do a show and I was in this Dallas hotel room and I was drunk and I ordered a pizza and the pizza never fucking came and I, I there's nowhere to go there's no bars open and the road I, baby yeah and I again I had never been like a road dog and yeah. I, I was like oh fuck this is what this is what it is man when this when is what you, kills comics in their 50s this is what kills comics in their fifties. This is what when your buddies like text you, like, "Hey, man, I'm I'm looking at the highway. I might go to the mall. I want to die. My show's in yeah." So it's like, "Yeah, man," but you're like going to the mall. That sounds fun. What fun? <laughs> not fun. It's not fun. Yeah, for it's a right person, by a Ross dress for less. That sounds great. For like a person like me who has like some anxiety and and mm. like. Just like any other comedian, I don't mean to make it sound special, but I got anxiety and depression issues sometimes. And it's just like, I didn't want that. I'm like, I'll be fucking dead. Again, just like when I left New York, this was my realization. Like, if I keep doing this, I'll be fucking dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, I, but, but good for you for understanding that. And I, 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 I did, I had done um, Montreal Just for Laughs. I, I got that that new faces nice fucking thing. What, would you get that? Fifteen years in, <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> new face here. He is with a gray beard. So let me let me ask one thing of your with the dad boner tour though. It's so, so funny you, how people don't. Sorry, what? <laughs> with with the with the dad boner tour though, what? were people oh, expecting you to do that character instead of just being you or did you kind of, how did you massage that? Cause that's, a, that's that thing, right? People came yeah. and they're like, how did you promote it? What was the ad? It was called dad boner. Like, how did you promote that? Dad boner and friends. <laughs> yeah. And it was, um, you know, I did some radio and things and I think not everyone understood that it was going to be not a dad boner character. I'm like, I, I mean, don't yeah, know. you weren't going to come and be, um, uh, no. his name, uh, Larry, the cable oh. guy, you weren't going to come in and be him. Right. But I thought about it, but again, this, the greedy part of me was like, well, no, I'm using this opportunity for people to see my stand up. Like they already saw all this other shit. Like, but that's not, I don't think that's greedy. I think that's, that's, and there's fairly... no, there's no other way we could have done it. Like, I, I do characters that are pretty in depth. I got a guy named Caleb Hodgkiss. I do who's very close to like a dad boner character. I could have I could have put it on and went out and done that, but I'm like I don't want to put on costumes and shit. I just want to drink some beer in the green room, go for a steak, and then come up 
bang it out for two hours and then go get drunk. Like I don't not, want not have everybody yelling, Hey Carl, Carl. Like, you know what I mean? And then you got to keep Carl going after the show. You got to keep Carl going at the bar. You got to keep, you know what I mean? That, that, that could be where it would have ended up. Right. They, they were like that though, man. People dressed up like Guy Fieri. Uh, Dude, but is, how crazy is that to see that? Like they're doing that because of you, because of something you did. They're at that theater because of you. They're right. dressed like Guy Fieri and their buddies. They're laughing and high five, and no one's going, "Hey, fucking dork!" They're no. like, "Dude, a sweet Guy Fieri wig, yeah, dad boner," and fucking basically just jerking each other off all night. Yeah, no one, no one was rude. Everyone was fantastic. And again, like I'd come out and do ten minutes of really loud, uh, uh, foul mouth stand up, and everyone's having a good time. Problem is, those people like to buy you shots, dude. <laughs> and I got so wrecked at a, the Boston show that everyone went across the street to another bar after the show, and I got uh, the bouncer wouldn't let me into my own after party because <laughs> fucking Boston people really like to dude, buy nuts. You got to work that out with the bartender where it's like, when people buy me anything brown, just put Coke in that thing. When people <laughs> buy me anything clear, just put water in that thing. And that is it. Like, cause yeah, yeah people, especially Boston, they're like, they want you to throw up down the front of your pants yeah. and fall down their, you know, cobblestone streets. They do not give a shit. Right. When, when it was all, um, when it all kind of came to, uh, its conclusion, uh, where were you at at that point in your life? And like, what did you decided? Like, how were you moving forward? Like you're talking about like, Hey, maybe stand up was not going to be my main thing. So where were, where was your head at that time? Like, how did you, where are you at now? Kind of thing. Um, well, after all of that, I, I've taken out, I'd say 10 TV shows, like constant development. And again, you only need one. And after doing that, I sold a, a, uh, a pilot to, that never got made to 20th Century Fox that I partnered with NASCAR for to do another wow. show. And this happened right at, while the dad boner thing was going on. So oh, wow. I, I was starting to stack things where, like, this is in second position. If this doesn't go, the NASCAR show will go because it's, with, it's for Fox. And NASCAR yeah. likes it. NASCAR is, like, in bed with me for this. I'm going to be good either way. No, that didn't get made. And then, (laughs) and then, you know, I tried to sell bazillion other shows. I, uh, I went and directed and wrote, sorry, kneeling down here. I went and directed, uh, and produced and wrote for a company called full screen and just did more digital because it's so hard to get staffed. It's, it's fucking impossible unless you got a tight buddy on a TV show. You guys, right. That's where Dude, that's well, I love. I love. I submit writing packets and just laugh every time I fucking send. Put press send. I'm like, oh yeah, no one's ever reading this. <laughs> Good practice. It makes you feel sick to write those, and I still do. Yeah, it. I, I do, do it too. I don't do it if it's like they're not hiring me for this, you know. But if it's like if it makes sense, I absolutely like a Conan pack. I'm always right. yeah, because exactly if it's somewhere you'd want to work. You know what I mean? If it's somewhere you'd want to be like, yeah, sure. I'll submit just on the off chance. They're like, everyone else has got coronavirus. Let's hire John. Right. Um, again, uh, tons of packets. I, I wrote a couple of years for digital. I directed, which was a good experience. And then I was going to say, just you just cutting your teeth on stuff like that is, is worthwhile. You know what I mean? And I did a stop motion series for WWE, which was a lot of fun. Um, oh, cool, and, that, cool. and that was like two years ago. And then it just, everything really petered out. I just couldn't get a job 
just sometimes, you know, it's just, there's no fucking jobs. Like where's the, I can't, and you, and you almost want to cry to reps on the phone. Like, and then they stop calling. I haven't talked to an agent. I don't even know if I have an agent in two years. My manager never talks to me. I'm talking like two, three times a year. I see her in social situations. I've never had a professional conversation in the last year about, uh, about my career. And that's when about a year ago, a little over a year, I decided I'm just going to make a, what, what, what got me paid last time? You know, like what started all a thing you liked doing me, <clears throat> I made it home. Something that I wrote on my time and I did it the way I wanted and no one touched it. And why does everything get ruined half the time? Because someone's got an idea. Someone wants it to be this way, or they want this character to be this way, or they want your show to be this way, and then it never fucking works. And I'm sorry to sound bitter, but it, it beats you down. And then after they ruin something, they're like, well, it probably should have been this. It's like, it's like oh, you want to kill yourself? <laughs> I, I decided I'm going to go all in. I'm going to start a podcast. And I'm going to use my basis from the dad boner fan base who guys that I already know like my comedy. And I'm going to make a show that I want and I'm going to take it seriously. And I've produced enough TV that I know how to produce a professional podcast on my own. All I need, I need one of these. I need a zoom and I need two mics and I don't even need, I did it for uh, with Brooks Whelan for a long time. Now I do it with yeah. my, buddy, my buddy, gnarly Zach. Gnarly Zach is a guy who works at a printing place, a screen printing place. Zero comedy experience. What? Nothing. He's just a dude. But he, I became fast friends with this guy through my buddy Vince Averill, also comic uh, on a we, and a curator of We Watch Wrestling podcast. And this guy was so great that I'm like, I don't even need the, the business to do this. I just got a guy who likes the same food and the same music I like. And he's got a rap on him and there's no agents involved. There's no managers, just me and this guy and this little zoom little recorder thing and a couple good microphones and a free audacity uh, editing software. I got on the computer and get some, get a theme song from a buddy, build the show, build a format, work on it. And then a year and a half, I've got a nice product. That's all mine. And I'm proud of it. And I get a little money for the Patreon. I do independent ads. I don't have a network because networks can cancel your show. I just go direct to independent businesses and I sell my advertising straight to them, straight cash, homie. And you did you, you, you recorded a, a is it a can you tell me what the show is? Is it like a. Well, I, sorry, I, was having, I had, was having a mini, a mini uh, <laughs> stroke. Mini yeah, I have, I have those mini question strokes. I have, one, I have one every episode. I yeah. have a full on stroke. I swear to God, it's a yeah, full remember stroke. words. And yeah, I, well, it's I, like, I, I leave it in too. I want everyone to hear this shame. So is the show, did you record the whole show before you put it out or like the whole series? Is that what you're talking about? Or what is the show specifically? Is it an actual scripted show or is it a conversation? It is a conversational style show, but it's segmented. So we'll have chunks where we talk about, you know, there's a food chunk at the end. There's always, we give two music recommendations um, because of the Rona. Everything's weird now because we have to do it. Yeah. Zoom and, and I've changed formats. I'll do like 
um, you know, fuck, Mary kill type episodes, just, <laughs> just stuff that's fun because the meat and potatoes of my show is stupid, true crime, where I just break down the dumbest stories that I can find per week, which does fall into a, uh, part like a you know morning show almost morning zoo category but i think well that, i think i, I do it no but i trust that i do it better and i trust that I'm, I'm quicker and i have a better perspective on the stories and i like that shit is the thing like in before i did any of this before i did second city before i did improv olympic i was a writer for the steve doll show which is a precursor to howard stern in in chicago Oh. <laughs> Steve Dahl. The disco demolition. Steve Dahl. Yeah. And and uh, and I always just I wanted to be on the radio so bad. I still would. Like I love the idea. Just oh. the cans and like you talk and then play stuff. And so uh I, I'm very happy making a show that that has those vibes to it. And um, it's the response has been great. The fans are awesome. They're like, they're, they've built out into this beautiful world. I, my fan base, they're diehards. They speak the language they're involved. And again, it doesn't have a goddamn thing to do with Hollywood. It, it could, I could, I could pack up with this little recorder and move to Freeland, Michigan or the UP. It'll do the podcast. I, I do it tomorrow. And I guarantee you after a couple months, I'll find a guy that's got a rap on him. <laughs> that's funny. That right. uh, likes the same shit that I like. And all he's got to do is sit there and you'd be surprised at how hard this is. Some people aren't good at just sitting next to you and just being funny, quick talk, quick talk in this, the dude I'm with now that gnarly Zach is, he's perfect. You know, he's yeah. thoughtful and polite and not trying to jump all down my throat every five seconds. Um, but yeah, that gives me comfort. That you're, I'm mobile. I'm not stuck here. You know, I can go. Did uh, did Carl promote your podcast for you, or how did you tap he, into your fan base? He promotes it. I've uh, I've I've switched over to. Uh, That's the one thing that Carl does like is your podcast. He's it's it's just it's just uh, filtered through his Twitter account. I just put up the posts. I don't. I I've stopped giving a fuck. Happened <laughs> because again. Um, I know it's those numbers have to grow and it's, and it's not for anyone else before you got to remember I was promoting that for a book for someone else's company, for a lot of other people to make money. And now it's just all mine and yeah, I'll do whatever I want. And if people don't like it, they can unfollow because if people don't like that show, then they have no, they're no, what are they doing there? You got no use. I got no use for you. And the dad the, thing still goes on. That story is still going right now. His, his, his roommate just went to a, uh, open the, open the, uh, open it up rally. He's, he's going to, oh. open it up rallies. <laughs> you can see where this might go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to bring the Corona home. And, and just, just to be clear, you know, it's, it's in the, in the way you talk, you're like, I just don't give a shit. I don't care. I think a lot of people misunderstand that really what you're saying, it's a frame of mind of like, you're freeing yourself. Like it's, you're not angry. You're not storming around pissed off all the time. You're, when you say you don't care, you're doing things for yourself and you're getting more out of it that way. Yeah. It's, I, you I, don't, it's, you don't care about what the industry thinks because that's just a weird flavor of the month type nonsense. Horse well, you have no anyway. control over it either. It, you have yeah. zero control. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've stopped worrying about what people think. And I just, 
I guess even more so than before when I was, I did stand up, and I think a lot of people are in generally like this, but I just, I, I just try and be a good person and put out good messages on a show. And, and I try to prove the point that you can still be edgy and you can still be vile and dirty. And that doesn't mean that you have to be hurtful to other people. And it doesn't mean that you have to be offensive uh, to people's gender or sexuality or anything. It's almost become more freeing for me to do a show that has dark undertones where I break balls hard on a lot of people who I call, you know, like people who there's a guy in the last show who drove two different cars through the same house in the same. <laughs> Jesus. Christ. Those people deserve to get ragged on though. Right. Right. There's plenty of people to bust on. You don't have to, there's like people say like, well, you can't be edgy anymore. Man, there's plenty of stuff to rip on. Don't worry yeah. about it. Dude, people are doing dumb shit every second of every day in this country. And I try not to just, I probably read 40 to 50 articles before I do the show on the Wednesday. We tape on, on Wednesday nights. And I really do try and curate what are the top three funniest sh- uh, right. true crime, stupid articles that are not totally mainstreamed out that are right. That, are, that aren't that everyone hasn't seen over and over and over and over and over again. Unless it's like, I've got a good take on this and everyone has seen it, but I think my take right. and I'll still do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And that's on what iTunes? Yeah, it's everywhere. You know, yeah. it's not on. Uh, it's not on. Uh, what's the? There's Spotify. Then there's Stitcher. SoundCloud. SoundCloud. It's, it's not on SoundCloud because the SoundCloud numbers were like three listeners a uh, a month, and the SoundCloud cost was like thirty bucks. I don't know what it was. Yeah, Either way, you weren't. I was like, you can find it somewhere else, man. <laughs> well, this show is on SoundCloud. I'd like to bring in the, CEO. <laughs> the owner of SoundCloud, Bob SoundCloud. Yes. Bob. Who also, he's our only listener on SoundCloud. That's yeah. where my that's where my imagination's gone. I can't think of anything off the cuff. I'm like Bob SoundCloud. That's just a good a, name. Got a, just got a big fluffy head. Just <laughs> white cloud hair. You know, I mean, I've super gentle. I kind of have the same attitude you do, Mike. I, I had very long, long time ago. I had a, a lot of success on on YouTube and, and and actually for a short period of time on MySpace, which is now just a joke. But still, at the time, I remember you did. I that's where I, that's where eyeballs were, and you just you know you you kind of run with it, and you realize when it comes to success on the internet, there you only have so much control. People ultimately make their decisions, no matter what you tell them. They're either with you. Or they're moving on and there's right. nothing you can or you have to just be true to what you want to do and you kind of got to roll with it and then you feed the beast if they want to be fed and if they don't you know you're kind of left in this limbo of like all right well now what do i do yeah do i still like it do i not like what i'm doing should i change the direction i mean it's it's cool in many respects but it's also still a tough nut to crack you know it's rough i think that i think that if you really like it you know it's worthwhile if you really like what you're putting out because you're doing it for you, why do it? Yeah. If you don't like it, you know, if I didn't like my show, I would quit. I would, I would because make it because if you didn't like it and then all of a sudden it gets picked up and then you're doing a show and yeah, maybe you're making money, but now it's a show you don't like, like that's right. not fun. Right. Like you want it. Like you wanted the thing you liked, you want that to go. <laughs> that's what you want to do. But to be fair, in all honesty, I will do anything for money. 
At this point, I'm with you, dude. Don't get me wrong. Don't could, get me wrong. If, uh, if there's a Nickelodeon My Little Pony uh, animated show that like is dude. stars Kelly Clarkson, I want to write on it. I, I'm ready to go. I, I want to do a voice of a My Little Pony. I want to do it. I still try and sell, don't get me wrong. You know, I still want to sell TV shows. I still sure. I still write pitches and I still write scripts, but I, it makes me feel comfortable to know that. I have something, you know, because again, I I'd never go up. I haven't gone on stage doing stand up in over a year, and I don't, really? I don't I don't see that changing. And dude, I, you make it sound like you weren't any good, but like I remember you, like like fucking before two thousand ten. You know what I mean? You weren't you weren't like a bad comic. I don't know. I I feel like I was told I was by reps. You know. Oh well, fuck, dude. That's like an acting coach telling somebody not to act. They, they, <laughs> they just beat me down so long, and the only thing I could, I would say, like, I want to work on this. I want to try and work on a half hour, and it was like, well, we think that, uh, you know, if you want to keep doing it for a hobby, that's fine, but like, you're probably not going to get any success. And that was across the board, and it, it just destroyed me. I mean, I, I couldn't go that's out and get. New, I wasn't big enough to go get new agents or new managers. And it really just broke my soul as far as my enjoyment of doing stand-up. Because even when I went and would go do a set and have a good set, in the back of my head, it felt like it was worthless because do anything. I, was trying yeah. to, I was trying to get paid. I'm trying to pay my bills, trying to pay my rent. And I was like, well, this, live. this was fun and I did well, but what is it worth? You know, that, that T-Mobile bill is still coming tomorrow. Yeah, I can't pay my rent in warm fuzzies. And if no one else is going to help me try and make some monetary uh, uh, gain out of this, then it's like you're dead in the water sometimes. Yeah, it's tough, man. And you also have to define your own version of success. Like I I made a movie a couple years ago, and, and it, it's not a blockbuster film. It's not something that like blew up. It didn't make gazillions of dollars, but I made a movie, right? And it's like – and I always – the first thing I did after the movie was complete – and it's on Blu-ray and it exists in the world. The first thing I did was I pulled out my old University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee folder. And in that folder was a letter from the school that said, You're not, you really need to quit the film biz. You need to find something else to do. And I looked at it and I just, and I just laughed at it because like they were just like, you really should not pursue a career in film. Yeah. And, and to me... It was never about how many people downloaded the movie or how many people saw it. I did that. I, that was where, how I defined my success was that someone told me don't even bother. And I continued to bother and it took me a while. That's to me, it, but I, I, it was a win. Speaking of Brian, good stand-up, I'll bet the guy. Wait, what's that? Oh, I said, speaking of good standup, I want to congratulate you on your, your new album coming out. Yeah. Oh, Jim. thanks buddy. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's going to be uh available for pre-sale um this right now pre-order right now it'll be available everywhere on tuesday it looks tomorrow. great the, the color the cover is really nice that is, is thanks dude speaking of social media that like that that comes off the screen you see it that's dude i got super fortunate i found this guy online and i was i really i found his instagram account and i was like man i really like these pictures i need cover art so like a year and a half ago, I hit him up. I'm like, hey, I'm getting together a new album, and I'm a comic, and because he was in the, uh, Amsterdam, so I'm like, I'm a comic in America, and and I give him this whole spiel, and he gets back to me right away, and he's like, dude, I know you, 
And I'm like, what? He's like, we worked on a commercial in Prague together in 2008. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? So I was like, so he was a producer on this commercial I did overseas, like, you know, years ago. And I uh, was like, yeah, he, I mean, I still paid him, but he created that cover. I explained to him what I was looking for. And yeah. he came back with that drawing. That was the first drawing he sent back. I go, dude, this is perfect. This is perfect. It's I love everything about it. So I think John yeah. just told the first positive story to start out with this sentence. I found this guy online. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and Cindy and that's went, how I was murdered. Later. <laughs> I know this now happened. I live in a bunker. <laughs> Oh yeah, did I mention he's from Amsterdam? This guy, <laughs> yeah. he lives in Amsterdam. No, he's in the movie Hostel. You might know where this is going. <laughs> but yeah, that is available for pre-order uh, starting, or not pre-order. It's pre- available for pre-order right now. Available for purchase everywhere tomorrow, Tuesday, April twenty eighth. Thank you, thank you, thank okay. you. Well, I got I got nothing else. Um, that was a, a a super good talk. I know we're all super bummed out with no sports, so you're not getting. I know you like uh, college football. You like? Are you a Lions fan? I'm a Lions fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Tigers. You like you like baseball though, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You go to like a ton of games. Yeah, I thought I heard you say earlier the baseball that NBA. Oh, NBA is your get your gem though. That's what you like the most. I'm, oh, I'm NFL. NFL. I'm 100 percent like NFL top. And then NBA and, you know, baseball's there, but I, yeah. it's, it's always on. The problem is it's like, you know, you're comic, you're at home all, you know, a lot. And the best thing is to have just base, you have that MLB package on dude, whatever best game or the, if there's a tiger game, it's on. If, if not, I just pick, there's it. always a, usually a Cubs game during the day. And then like any other game at night, you know, cause you can work with baseball on. I can write, I can do it. You can do anything with baseball on. Yeah. And it's like it's really, it's good. It's good background noise. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, well, Mike, Mike for uh, coming in and sharing the story. Um, I'm sure some of them you've told a million times before, but we really appreciate hearing about it. Oh yeah. I just make up some like lies to make it exciting <laughs> for me. Like, I, change I it embellish. Up. I embellish. <laughs> well, yeah. When I started the de- I was living in the bat cave and I was like, <laughs> Do I, oh, did I mention I, uh, I bought the replication of the Batcave? I set it up in my garage. Perfect. Anyway, perfect. I was writing this uh, this uh, Twitter account called Grandpa Cock, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for well, me. Thank you. Yeah, much. dude. So uh, people look for uh, Power Moves. You can find it pretty much anywhere podcasts are. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, man, great having you on. Good to where I can see you now, which I know is some weird for people listening, but uh, good to see you. Oh, and sure. uh, stay healthy. We'll have you on the uh, the live show uh, in a couple of weeks if we're still doing this. Love it. All right, man. Thanks. Thank you, Thank you Brian. Thank you, John. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 